Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. G'day. Today is Wednesday, August 23rd. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Well, Chase, according to a recent survey, 91% of women have reported receiving unwanted romantic and sexual advances on LinkedIn. Not only is it against LinkedIn's rules, but just don't be that guy. Well, I guess the dating scene has certainly changed since when I was part of it, Bruce, 20 plus years ago. Thank God for my wife. Sure fooled her, didn't I? Don't be doing things online that you shouldn't be. Try to approach the right area of opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. The unfortunate part is 47% of those women interviewed said that it's causing them to use LinkedIn less, right? Because of that. Just crazy. Stop it. Chase, last week, Austin, Texas hosted Keller Williams' annual mega agent camp with over 5,500 agents in attendance. A highlight of Mega Camp is Gary's State of the Industry presentation, where he shares the stage with Jason Abrams, Head of Industry and Learning, VP of Strategic Content, Jay Papazan, and KW's Chief Economist, Ruben Gonzalez. So let me ask you, what were some of your key takeaways? I think it's so valuable for us as professionals to understand what's going on in the larger market, what's going on in our local markets, and of course, so that we can deliver that value to either our buyers and sellers as clients and or our agents that we get to serve at Keller Williams. And there was a lot of information there, Bruce. Gary has a really unique way of taking what could be complicated information or conflicting information and distilling it down into what really matters. Gary shared with us the unemployment numbers, right, which are near historical lows, less than 4%, 3.6%, 3.5% over the last several months, which is, you know, beyond full employment. The government would consider 4% full employment, basically meaning anyone who wants a job has a job. And yet the number of job openings is substantially high. So I'll give you a couple numbers here just to illustrate the point. And there's a slide here for those of you that are looking for this that I'm sure we can attach to the show notes. As of June 2023, so a couple months ago, there were 9.58 million job openings And there are only 5.95 million unemployed people. So there's nearly double the number of openings as there are people that don't have a job. What does that lead to, Bruce? Well, one thing it leads to is increased wages. It was fascinating that the wage increase is actually outpacing inflation. As we've talked through inflation ad nauseum on this podcast, You know, one of the things that's been persistent is consumer spending, even in face of inflation. And that helps explain that, that wage growth has outpaced the level of inflation. And so people are still spending money, even though everything costs more, it feels like, right? I think what you said there is really important as well, Chase, and that is, you know, three and a half percent unemployment. Basically, that means everybody who wants a job has got a job, right? That's why you're seeing upward wage pressure is because there's not enough people to fill all the positions. You know, there are three key metrics that the government looks at, right, with regards to the health of the economy. One is unemployment. And the goal the government wants is to have unemployment under 6%. That's healthy for our country. Number two is GDP. 
And the goal there is 2% growth, right? That's the gross domestic product that shows the strength and the growth of the economy. If it's above two, it's three or 4%. That's awesome. Things are rocking and rolling, but we want to be at least 2%. And then, of course, the third key metric is this inflation number, right? CPI, consumer price index. And the goal there is to be at 2%. And like you said, we've talked about inflation ad nauseum, but that's because we have to, because that's the key thing driving our market right now. And, you know, when you look at it last year, we went up to 9.1% inflation, right? Which is the hottest it's been in a long time. Even though the Fed is doing everything by raising rates to try and get that inflation number down, it's being stubborn. And a lot of it comes back to what you just talked about, which is the jobs. Yep. CPI in inflation's down to 3.2% is the most recent number. The goal is 2%. And we've talked about what will the Fed do? September, they meet for their decision on what they're going to do with the interest rate. So also, Bruce, a lot of conversation around what type of correction we may or may not see in the real estate industry. And I thought one of the slides that Gary shared and the information regarding the median home price shows the median home price for every year back to 1990, right? That's a lot of data. And of course, there's more beyond that. But it shows the average trend line of 4%. And that way you can see each year, was it above, below, or at this average trend line of 4%. Even though prices have just gone up substantially over the last several years, although slowing now, what I thought was fascinating is that the projected median price for 2023 of 382000 nationally is only 7% above that 4% trend line, that would put it at 357000 So 7% above it, which to be fair, is above the trend line. But imagine mm-hmm. another year goes by and prices hold steady. Maybe they don't move at all. What if, that's not a prediction. I'm just saying, what if prices stayed at 382000 and the average median went up, you know, that trend line to continue up 4%. We'd be within 3% of the trend line. So housing is not actually dramatically overpriced on a national level, as some may feel it Mm -hmm. is. I think that's a really important piece of information for real estate agents to know and understand and certainly be able to communicate to their clients. Well, and to give it some context, right, back in 2006, which was the previous peak before we had a correction in the market in 08, we were 21% above the trend line. Now, granted, the average price then was 222000 but 222000 back in 2006 yes. was a lot of money. And so we were way above the trend line at that point, and yet it corrected. This particular graph is really powerful. Everyone listening to this podcast should use and share with yeah. their clients. Right. Always a great time to yes. buy the right piece of real estate. And actually, there's some additional data, Bruce, talking about the affordability of owning a home. It tracks the percentage of income required for principal and interest, right? And again, it does that on an annual basis. So as wages change and average home price changes, it says, okay, what's the percentage that homeowners are spending of their total income on owning their home? In 2023, we're projecting it to be around 29%. Well, the historical average is 27%. 27% of your total income spent on owning your home. We're only 2% above that. Yes, we're above, but we're not dramatically above. Compare that with 2006, which you mentioned, 
the percentage was 32%. You had to spend 32% of your income to own your home. So that's three points higher than now. And in recent history, which would be back to 1981, not that recent, that was before I was born, it was 49%, almost right. half of your income you had to spend in order to own a home. So again, that's great perspective for this conversation that's out there that's like, oh, it's too hard to own a home. Our kids that are going out into the world are never going to be able to afford a home. It's simply not true, Bruce, on the national level. And it's dangerous for people to be thinking that way in terms of their decision making. Because remember, the average homeowner, Bruce has 35 times the net worth of someone who rents. If your Uncle Sal or your mom and dad are out there breathing this idea into you that you can't own a home because it's too expensive, I urge you to check the facts because if you're looking for your net worth to be 35 times higher in the long run, then owning a home is still a great idea and still possible. Absolutely. And, you know, when we look at, at what's going on from a competitive standpoint in the market, right, as the number of realtors have grown in the industry, what we've seen is a compression in terms of the number of average sides per agent. If you look back from 2000, really, to 2007, NAR added 550,000 agents. In fact, in 2000, the average sides per agent was 13.5. And then we went to 7.5. And then in the next period between 2008 and 2012, we saw the average sides actually increase, right? Went from 6.9, which of course, think about that, 2008 was the great correction, right? The recession. And then by 2012, we're back up to 9.3 sides. We're seeing this flip-flop again as NAR adds another 580,000 agents. And then guess what? We went from 9.8 sides per agent to an average of 6.4 sides. That's the pain that we're all feeling today. There are fewer transactions being done and more people fighting for them. If that was the only slide, we could all sit around and cry in our beer, right? But the reality is this year, based on the projections, we are going to have most likely the fifth best year ever in volume. The opportunity is still phenomenal for those who are truly serious and committed to this industry. And by the way, you may have to work harder this year. Yep. That can be freeing, Bruce, if you submit to that as a fact. That can lead you to the opportunity you described, right? Another one that was shared in the state of the industry was the percentage of homeowners who have massive amounts of equity. And this is a topic we've covered here before, too. But I want to lay this on our listeners really quickly because this should be easy to remember. 70% of homeowners, 70%, have at least 50% of equity in their homes. And you ask, well, that's amazing. Maybe that's why some of them aren't putting their homes on the market. Gary also gave us the information about the rates that these people are, quote unquote, locked in at. And yet, Bruce, what can those clients with these massive amounts of equity be doing with it? Purchasing a rental property, purchasing a second home. There's lots of options, of course, but as it pertains to real estate, you've got this untapped, untouched capital and equity that can help people go and build wealth. And as a real estate professional yeah. that is vested in someone's home, the equity in their home and what they may be able to do with it, that is a great opportunity to be communicating to our databases, right? 
that blew me away, right? 70% have 50% or more equity. In fact, if you drill down into those numbers, Chase, 34 million homes in this country or 39% are owned outright. They have no mortgage Incredible. on them, right? 39% of all houses have no mortgage on them. And then another 31% or 27 million, they have more than 50% equity in their homes. And again, you know, you come back, what did you say was 35 times more net worth on average for a homeowner right. versus a renter? It would be hard to be sharing some information and statistics, state of the industry, as we call it, without touching on mortgage rates, Bruce. I think we got to do that. And of course, when we look at the historical mortgage rates on an annualized basis, and the average mortgage rate since 1972 was 7.8, higher than it is now, right? So again, perspective mm-hmm. for people that are overly concerned about this versus the reality. The average rate going back to 1990, so a little shorter window there, is just under 6%, 5.97. And compare that to middle sixes, which is about where we're at now. Again, great perspective for someone that's maybe on the fence. It's a stronger view of what has happened and what is happening than just the proverbial, well, hopefully rates will go down. Well, that's a crystal ball that no one actually has, Bruce. So when we put this in perspective and we look through the correct lens, it can really help us as professionals and then therefore our clients make good long-term decisions for buying the right piece of property at the right time, which is always. Yeah, perspective matters. And the fact is, is when you go back, you know, 2010, you know, after the recession, which is when we saw rates come down, we went through this long protracted time where rates were artificially low. And Gary has said this in the past, and I absolutely agree with him. And that is, we borrowed buyers from the future. We put them into houses back then when the rates were cheap, 3% or less even. But we were borrowing buyers from the future. So yeah, we've got to make up. There's going to be a correction. It's going to be uncomfortable for a while. And yet, the fundamentals of our industry are still solid. We have short-term memories. And so our short-term is like 2.5% interest rate. (laughs) But long-term, 1981, for example, just under 17% interest rate. So you're right. The opportunity is immense if you have the correct lens to look through and you understand what the information is telling you. Well, Chase, as we previously reported, Rex Real Estate, a disruptor real estate company, filed suit against Zillow and the National Association of Realtors. Originally filed by Rex in March of 2021, the lawsuit alleges that changes made to Zillow's website unfairly hide certain listings shrinking their exposure and diminishing competition among real estate brokers. Now, two months prior, in January of 2021, Zillow began moving homes out of its initial search results for sellers who chose not to use agents adhering to NAR and local multiple listing service practices. Now, in January of 2022, NAR filed a countersuit claiming that Rex uses false advertising and misleading claims to deceive consumers in violation of the Lanham Act. Now, the Lanham Act states that anyone who uses false or misleading facts or misrepresents the nature of goods or services, quotation, shall be liable in a civil action by any person who believes that he or she is likely to be damaged by such act, close quotations. 
That countersuit was dismissed in late April 2022. In mid-May 2022, Rex ceased its brokerage operations. Now, a little over a year later, in mid-June of 23, the three parties involved in the suit all filed motions for summary judgment on at least some issues, if not the entire lawsuit. Now, earlier this month, Judge Thomas Zilli ruled on claims in the lawsuit, allowing three of Rex's claims against Zillow to head to trial, a false advertising claim under the Lanham Act, a claim for unfair or deceptive trade practices under Washington, that'd be Washington State, Washington's Consumer Protection Act, and a claim alleging defamation. However, the judge on Wednesday dismissed all antitrust allegations made by Rex Real Estate against NAR and Zillow. And in his order dismissing the claims, Judge Zilly wrote that the court concludes that Rex has failed to present evidence of the conspiracy alleged in its amended complaint, namely a purported agreement between NAR and Zillow and non-party MLSs to segregate, conceal, and demote non-MLS listings on Zillow's websites and mobile platforms. The antitrust claims against NAR and Zillow are dismissed with prejudice. I think, number one, if Rex had been busy doing what they should have been doing, which is, you know, running their brokerage operation instead of trying to sue people, maybe they would still be open for business, but they're not. And number two, I feel like this is a win for America. It's a win for the good guys. And not to overplay that, but here's why I say that, Bruce. It's not enough just to make an allegation. If you don't have any facts or evidence that you can bring to the table, I'm super glad to hear that the judge just categorically dismissed it. They say one thing and then they have nothing to prove it. That's a win in this country as far as I'm concerned. Well, Chase, independent mortgage banks reported an average net loss of $534 on each loan originated from April to June. Now, by the way, that's down from $1,972 loss per loan in the first quarter of 2023. Now, all of that's according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. In fact, the average pre-tax production loss was 18 basis points in Q2. Including both the production and servicing business lines, 58% of retail mortgage companies were profitable in Q2, and that's up from 32% in the first quarter. There were signs of improvement in the second quarter of 2023. Production losses were less severe than the previous two quarters, and net servicing financial income was strong. And that's according to Marina Walsh, the MBA's vice president of industry analysis. Additionally, the majority of mortgage companies in our survey managed to squeeze out an overall profit during one of the toughest times for the mortgage industry. So what are your thoughts? Well, it can certainly seem or feel like one of those feast or famine type businesses, Bruce, and it has in the last handful of years, right? You had some of the best years ever, and now a huge portion of the industry just trying to make any profit, let alone anything to write home about. So it just illustrates the continued challenge and toughness of the marketplace that we're in and and where interest rates were versus where they're at now and the lag that we have in terms of consumers accepting the rates that we're dealing with now. I think one of the the parts of that story, Bruce, that is also worth noting is that it was kind of a a crazy week with mortgage rates. We hit a 21st century high last week with rates hitting 7.37%. And again, we got the opportunity to comment on 
the perspective around that yep. number versus where we have been recently. And yet I still think there is an educational phase where the consumer has to be re-educated about the value of a 3.37% rate versus maybe what they could have gotten a couple of years ago. We'll continue to watch this very carefully because if we can't get the inflation numbers under control, it's likely and possible at least that the government will go back to raising rates even more. And again, that's not a prediction. That's just an option that they have should some of these numbers not continue to come in line. That's probably something that the Mortgage Bankers Association is not hoping will happen. Yeah, agreed. Well, what's fascinating, too, is a lot of pundits have expected that as interest rates rise, we'll see demand slow down and inventory start to grow more. But that actually is not the case. In fact, last week, we only added 4,401 new listings nationwide, right? I mean, that is an abysmally small number. And by the way, purchase apps were flat week to week. Right now, we're just going to have to tough it out. We just have to get good at our craft and go out and generate leads like there's no... Yeah, I want to tuck one number in there, Bruce, to illustrate your point, the low number of listings coming on the market. And this, again, is going back to Gary's state of the industry information that he delivered. 89% of homeowners have a mortgage under 5%. That is definitely part of the challenge that we're currently facing and are likely to continue to face, at least in the near term. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode, where we'll interview Stacey Hartzler with Keller Williams Portland Premier in Portland, Oregon. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe to The Real Look. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a breakdown of all things real estate.